This is the word of the Lord from Luke 10, 38 to 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so... I am aware that the HVAC is not keeping up. It's a little toasty, so hopefully we'll get that situated this week. Um, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get somebody out here. Anywho, so I wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, I have this, this little anecdote, this little story uh, about Martin Luther. It's one of my favorite little stories about him, and it goes like this. Martin Luther is the German reformer. Martin Luther, when, when once asked what his plans for the following day were, he answered, work, work, from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. What? Now, I wish that was my natural go-to, right? When I feel like I got a lot to do, I just start handling the things that I have to do. In fact, I feel like the times with the Lord, it kind of shrink a little bit because I'm like, I need to handle all of these, these opportunities, these, these tasks, these demands. I need to get to that. So a lot of times, my times with the Lord, I'm tempted to shorten those so that I can accomplish the things that I have to accomplish. But this quote gets me because he does the exact opposite. He's like, I have a lot to do, and because I have to do a lot to do, therefore I need to spend extra time in prayer. He, he points to this, this, this idea, this idea that what we do for God should not outpace our being with God. What we are doing for God should not outpace are being with God. That's what we're going to see in this text. Let's pray to ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we pray that you would reveal to us what you are speaking to our hearts in this text today. Lord God, I pray that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged and that you would encourage us where we are weak and that you would speak your word powerfully to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting off in verse 38, it says, While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, context is, context is king. So what's interesting in this chapter is that wherever he has been, they didn't welcome him. He went to go to the Samaritans. They're like, get up out of here. People was like, I want to follow you, but I actually still want to do what I want to do. He's like, you, you got to follow me wholesale. So it's really interesting in this chapter, this is the first time that someone just wholesale welcomes him. One of the things that unites those who rejected Christ is their lack of humility. Let me, let me explain. They all had an issue with the way that he was doing things or the things that he said. 
They had a personal preference that Christ did not share. And because Christ did not share his personal preference with them, they said, well, you need to go on somewhere or I need to leave. Why? It's, it's his way versus my way. Which is really interesting. You can tell and when, when they, they summarized what Jesus preached, they summarized it in one sentence. It says, he went around and said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. This idea of repentance, it means this, this turning away from sin and self and turning towards God. It's a radical reorientation that anyone who says, I'm going to follow Jesus, or anyone who says, I want to welcome Jesus into my life, means that there is going to be a touch of conflict between you and Jesus because what he thinks is right is not necessarily what you think is right. Nevertheless, Martha welcomed him. So I don't want you to read the text and think Mar Martha was a bad person. That, that's not the point. She, she actually is the first one in the chapter that says, you come to my house, come on. See, welcoming Christ invites both comfort and challenge. When he says the, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is, is, is the blessings of God under the authority of God. It's God showing his kindness, his kindness in provision, his kindness in joy, his kindness in peace. When God comes, he doesn't come alone. He comes with all of his blessings. So, so the coming of Christ to your life and the welcome of Christ should produce such joy and peace. Not only does it, does it produce joy and peace, but, but it, it creates righteousness and justice. In other, words, in other words, that when Christ comes into the life, it produces personal moral beauty. Have you ever been around someone and you thought, I, wanna, I don't want to be a good person like they are? Now, now there's sometimes you could be around somebody and you're like, that dude feels real religious and I don't want to be around. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who was so kind and so generous and so nice that when you leave their presence, you go, if I could be like somebody, I'd, I'd want it to be that person. See, when Christ comes in his kingdom, he is wanting to make you that person. That person where the morality isn't oppressive, but it's, but it's beautifully welcoming. That, that is what Christ is, wants to do in the heart. Not only that, he wants there to be a, a communal moral beauty. That in the life of the church, there is love and forgiveness and sacrifice and care. That when you look at that community, you go, I think I wouldn't mind being a part of that. That's what, when Christ comes in the fullness of his kingdom, he takes authority over my moral wickedness and begins to, to form it into to moral beauty. And he takes authority over the dysfunction of relationships and begins, begins to make them function properly. So there is a comfort to welcoming Christ, but there also is this idea that welcoming Christ means deferring to his will. Remember what, what the word repentance means. I was walking in this particular direction, but I'm going to turn around and walk the other way. It's implicit in the name Lord or Master. And ultimately, His will is what's best for us. And what we see in this text is that Jesus was welcomed by Martha. And because He was welcomed by Martha, He lovingly challenged Martha. Jesus loves us enough 
to challenge us. That, that is a loving thing to do. When, when someone's bothering you and you go, forget them, <laughs> I'm going to go over here. I, I, I've, I've never done that. You're like, I, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even want to worry about that. But when you decide to press in, like, I love this person enough that I, I really want to help them. I want to address this. So, so in verse 39, the Lord calls all to listen and learn from him. 39, she had a sister, Martha, had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening, uh, was listening to what he said. Now, we need to pause right here because that seems so normal to us. But what it actually points to, the, it points to the radical inclusiveness of Christ's discipleship. That posture of sitting in front of the, the teacher where it was reserved for students. And at that time and in that, that culture, women were not supposed to be students. They, 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 it was like an official, like, like, it's like saying, he's my teacher and I learned from him. And for Jesus to do that, he is crossing this, this huge gender barrier. In this time, women were considered inferior. They, they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't supposed to listen the culture did not consider that both men and women were made in the image of God. But Jesus honored and dignified her and said, no, I want you to learn from me. You might can't learn over there, but with me, you can learn. What's, what's so interesting is Jesus dignified those who were deemed unworthy. And he still does this today. Like Jesus is always using people whom everybody else will go, I don't know if they got something to offer. But Jesus looks at them and says, no, 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 I see something in you and I have gifted you in a particular way that I can use you for my glory. That is the, the path of, of Christian history is God using people whom others would look at and go, I don't really know what they have to offer. Like, like when God calls a bunch of fishermen and says, I'm going to make you apostles. But, but God, in his wisdom and love and mercy, says, I will look at whomever the culture deems unworthy and inferior, and I will decide to use that one. He often chooses the unlikely to show off his glory and grace. Now, what this passage points to is, is Mary saw this, this awesome privilege to be with the Lord, to learn from the Lord. Should we not also jump at the chance to learn at his feet since he welcomes everyone? You know, I've, I, I've read a lot of stories of Christians who live in, in nations where it's illegal to, to, to walk with the Lord. And, and it's even illegal to, to get access to the scriptures. And, and I've read these stories where, you know, somebody actually smuggles the scriptures into a particular country. And it comes to this rural village and they finally have the scriptures in their language. And they begin to weep and they begin to kiss the scriptures because like I finally have access access to the Word of God. And then I think about how we have so many Bibles in our house, and sometimes we don't even dust it off. Listen, Jesus has given us this incredible privilege to know Him and to learn from Him. Should we not lay hold of that resource and learn from Christ? 
I love how, how Jesus and his church are, are always crossing these major boundaries. In Galatians 3, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul outlines three major boundaries. It says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. The interesting thing is we can still see these divisions at work today. What he's saying is, is, is all ethnicities should be one in Christ. In, in that context, Jew and Greek, they, they had wars with one another. There was a wide gap and hatred. There, there, there are times when Jesus is, is talking to people and the name for a Greek, a name for a Gentile was dog. That's what the Jews were like. It wasn't like they didn't like each other just a little bit. There was this intense animosity. But yet in the church of Jesus Christ, you have Jews and Greeks working together, loving one another, serving each other. And that is how it should be today. That in the church, black, white, Hispanic, purple, whatever, that we would all work together, that we would love one another because Christ says he makes us one. Not only is, does he break down that, that barrier, he says that there should be peace even across the economic spectrum. So in the Roman society, slave or free, that was about economics. Who had money, who didn't? And he's saying, my gospel is not simply for those who are well off, but, but my good news is for those who might be struggling. See, in Christ, the rich are not better than the poor. And you need to hear this because I don't, across the American culture, even in different subcultures, the assumption is that if someone has more money than someone else, then they're morally better than someone else. It's the assumption. It is, it is just the assumption. But the reality is the Bible says that the rich could be morally righteous or they could be oppressive. There's examples of both in the text. So, so, so the amount of money someone has does not indicate to you the spiritual quality of that person. And, and, and just as much, the, the, the ones who are struggling, the, one, the ones who are poor, they, they, they could be suffering, or the proverb says they could need better work ethic. But you don't know just from first look. And again, someone's economic status does not give you an indicator of what kind of morality that person has. And so in the church, that is not a statement of judgment or of gradation. That everyone who comes from every class is welcome and considered equal. Because we don't, we don't subscribe to the assumption that how much money someone has in the pocket to determines the, the quality of their life, their uprightness of heart. So not only does he cross that, they, they cross the, the, the barrier between men and women. Like he goes from the battle of the sexes to humble love and service to one another. That, 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 that there's this ancient battle, this ancient, ancient power struggle, and Christ is like, put that power struggle away. Humble yourself and serve the other. Men and women were created to complement and serve each other. Apostle Paul gets this at first, in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. He's saying, listen, no, you need each other. 
for your family to function, for the church to function, for society to function, you need one another and you complement one another. And so, listen, we are all called to humbly listen to what Jesus says for us. And the reality is that he has a challenge for everyone. Now, your challenge from him might not be the same as your neighbor's challenge from him, but he has a challenge for you. And the question that you have to ask yourself is, where do I need to repent? You don't just repent one time. You ask the Lord continually, search my heart. And teach me. Show me where I am wrong. And the Lord is so gracious and loving that he will do that. Not as an as a, as a angry judge, but as a concerned physician that sees sickness and says, I want to help you get rid of that. So what area of your life is there a place that you want to follow yourself rather than to follow him? It's a question we all must think and meditate on. Now, how are we going to get to the meat of the story? In verse 40, we see that serving Jesus without fellowship with Jesus can make us prideful and angry. In verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Martha up there ordering Jesus around, y'all. But Martha was, was so drawn away from Jesus because she was occupied with serving Jesus. Doesn't that sound crazy? She was working so hard to please Jesus that she actually wasn't listening to Jesus. Think, think about this. The master of the universe is teaching. Listen, I... I if Jesus was here teaching, I would want to listen. He created all things, right? And she up there sweeping the floor, you know? Like, no, no, if the, if the master, if the one who created you and loves you is speaking, maybe you should put the broom down and go, let me listen to what he has to say. See, the reality is, is when we have a life that's characterized by, by serving Jesus more than we are actually spending time with Jesus, there's a lot of things, a lot of problems that could happen. Sometimes we could be doing things that he actually didn't ask us to do. Now listen, there are a hundred good things you could do. In fact, if you tried to do all the good things that you could do, you couldn't do them. Yeah? So, so in reality, you actually need wisdom from the Lord to go, okay, out of all the things that I could be doing, which there's a lot, <laughs> Out of all the, the ways that I could be serving, which is a lot, what are you telling me to do? How have you gifted me to serve? That's one of the beauties of the church because he gifts people to serve in different ways. And through working together, there can be some holistic service. But you by yourself cannot do it all. And when you humble yourself and say, Jesus, I don't want to just do stuff just because I need to do stuff. I want to do the things that you want me to do. So listen, if you spend time with, with Christ, you spend time with his people, he gives you direction. And not only that, if you attempt to do something for God, but don't spend time with him, you will lack the power to do what he wants you to do. If God really calls you to do something, if it's for real God, you can be 100% sure that you do not have the power and the strength to do it. 
If God, for, if God says, I want you to do this, you need to go, oh, snap. I don't know if I can do that because you can't. You can't do it without him. The reality, I, I saw this, this meme one time. Y'all probably seen it. It says, it says, you know, you need the Holy Spirit for a lot of stuff. You need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. And if you go to the White Horse Road Walmart, you better have the Holy Spirit. That's all I got to say. It gets, gets crazy up in there. You want to act crazy with people acting crazy to you. Listen, to do the, the simplest acts of righteousness, I need the power of the Spirit. And the only way that I am going to be close to the power of the Spirit is if I carve out time to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, teach me. Empower me so that I can do the things that you have called me to do. We can see in this text that a, a lack of fellowship with Jesus while serving Jesus can lead to anger and pride. Again, Martha is up here interrupting Jesus while he's teaching. Jesus, the one he, she just welcomed up. Jesus, you're probably saying something good, but listen, I need you to be quiet for a minute because I got something to tell you. What? Martha, who you is? Who do you think you are? You think you have more wisdom than him? Not only that, she, she, I imagine Martha was serving, and she's like, I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart. But she kept on like, like looking at Mary like, lazy over there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure she was like, man, I'm serving Jesus. Mary, get your behind up here and help me. Like, you know, she's, she's serving Jesus while having anger in her heart at Mary. She thought she was better than Mary. Why? Why? Because, because her serving Jesus was not coming out of a deep fellowship with Jesus. And guess what? Sin comes out. It, it is a dangerous thing. Because here's the deal. When you find yourself doing quote unquote good things and you don't have a posture of humility, your head gets big. That was the issue with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of, of the day of Jesus. They were doing all this awesome stuff. And like, look at me. I'm awesome. You see how cool I am? What was their issue? They didn't actually have fellowship with the God whom they said they served. And so because of that, we, we should all make every effort to sit at the feet of Jesus. In verse 41, it says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. The reality is that if we don't have living and vibrant communion and relationship with the Lord, anxiety and distraction can draw us away. Listen, there was, like, so Martha had an outburst, yeah? You ever seen somebody have an outburst? That's what happened. Everybody's chilling. Martha, whoa, snap. Like, whoa. Jesus discerned that Martha was worried and upset. Let's he said about many things. Not just the thing that she had an outburst about. Her outburst actually highlighted the fact that she was worried and upset about a lot of stuff. And see, our, our outbursts point to deeper issues. I'm going to tell you a secret. Sometimes I have outbursts, okay? I don't know if you believe it or not. Don't ask my wife. Uh, sometimes I have some outbursts. And listen, listen, when I have an outburst of anger or sadness or, or, or any of these negative emotions, I got to sit down and go, wait a minute. What is going on in my heart? I got to sit down with the Lord and go, Lord, what just happened? 
Why did I? Because it's not that I just had a bad day. Well, that might have been true. But the outburst points to something that's actually going on in the heart. In those moments, we have to process why. In those moments, we have to process with a, a trusted Christian friend. Like, I tell you, sometimes I go home, I'm like, Becca, this is what I felt today. I don't think it was good that I felt that way. Can you help me understand why I felt that way? Because, I, I, listen, I don't want to just address an action. I want to address the root. So, so Jesus says to Martha, listen, you're, you, you had an outburst. And he says it, and Martha, Martha, we're like, Martha, we're like, I love you. You had an outburst. There's something going on. You are worried and distracted and anxious about many things. See, when Jesus points out our flaws, he doesn't do it in anger, but in gentle, loving concern. That, that's, that's how Jesus addresses us in our sin. And Jesus says, hey, the one thing you need, the top priority that you need is that you need an attentive, submissive fellowship with Christ. You need an attentive, submissive fellowship with Christ. See, the reality is that is the root of our spiritual lives. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then he begins to say that you actually cannot bear fruit apart from me. That's why you need to abide in me. I cannot bear good spiritual fruit if I do not have meaningful time with the Lord. Because I don't have a source within myself. There's, not a, there's not, not a source of goodness within myself. There's a source of goodness in him. And as I remain connected to him, he produces fruit in my life. I have to remain with him. I have to be attentive to him. Lord, what are you saying? Lord, what, what are you saying to me? What, 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 what things in my life are you trying to use to point point issues out. I have to have a posture of submission, a disposition to obey. Listen, have you ever tried to give somebody instruction and you could tell that they were not listening? You could tell they were not going to do what you said, right? Now, after a while, do you continue to do it? Nah, you're like, all right, well, you go ahead and do what you got to do, you know? <laughs> no, no. I want to say, Jesus, I don't know exactly what you will say to me, but my posture is I want to obey it. I don't know exactly what that would mean, Lord, but, but my posture is I want to do what you want me to do. And Jesus wants there to be a true fellowship, a sharing, an exchange, a relationship. Like The thing that, that, that wowed me when the Lord called me, when he, when, he, when, when he saved me when I was in high school, was the fact that he wanted to have a relationship with me. Like That, that blew my mind. That the fact that John 17, 3 is true, that eternal life is to know the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That the God of the universe didn't just give me some random instructions and back up, but he said, you, I want to know you. I want to have a friendship, a relationship with you. Here's the reality. There will not be regret about spending time with the Lord. There's not going to be regret about Like what Jesus is saying, you know, Martha, maybe some chores you need to get done around the house. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe she needs to sweep. Maybe she needs to wash her clothes. I don't know. But listen, she's with me right now. And the benefit of that is not going to be taken away from her. She's not going to look back and go, I should have been sweeping today. 
No, he, she's going to look back and go, that was a meaningful uh, uh, investment of my time that I was with Christ. I remember when I was in college, and this was a, a time in my life where I was really trying to, to, to work through a lot of stuff in my relationship with the Lord, and there would be, and this sounds super spiritual, but I just want to tell you the truth. There would be times where I feel like I had a bunch of stuff to do, kind of like Martin Luther. Like, I got a lot of stuff. I got, I got to go to this job. I got to work. I got to do this, that, and the other, and then I would go, but I ain't really spent time with the Lord today, and I haven't made this decision. I haven't, like, I could study for my test, or I could spend some time with the Lord. Here's the craziest thing. I found that when I chose to carve out time for the Lord, the Lord would multiply and make the other things I did more fruitful. Like, it was the craziest thing to me. But I felt the pressures and demands to do a lot of stuff. And if I let those pressures and demands run me, I would steal from myself meaningful fellowship with the Lord and be less effective at the thing that I'm trying to do. I want us to be a people that, that understand the importance of sitting with the Lord, of being with him, of praying, praying to him, of saying, Lord, I just want to be with you and trust that as we do that, he is going to make us more effective in whatever it is that we have to do. I had to listen. I had to learn this when we when we started the church. I tell you what, man, I didn't I, like when, when we started the church. I didn't have to like think about what I had to do because there was like a list. <laughs> There's like a lot of stuff to do. I got to do this and this and this and this, and then I then the next day and it's this this and and I got oh, I just got I got to work a lot. I got to do this stuff. I got to do this stuff. But but there would be times when the Lord was like, listen, that stuff is important. The tasks are important, but but if you don't live your life out of fellowship with me. Those tasks will rob you of joy and peace and strength. So it is of utmost importance that we would choose the better part, like Mary. And ultimately, the way that I want you to view the gospel is that it is a means to something. Jesus' death and his resurrection was a means to something. What was it a means to? It was a means so that you would know him. We were separated from him because of our sin. And Jesus accomplished a lot of work in his life and his death and his resurrection. Why? So that he could be with you. Listen, there was this distance, and the distance had to be covered. And so, and so Jesus Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. He died for us. He rose again so that we would have power to be connected with him. He is seated in the heavens praying for us. And then he sends the Holy Spirit so that he would pour out his presence on us. All of this was a means to restore the relationship that was broken between us and God. How do I know? Listen, one of the last chapters of the Bible in Revelations 21.3 is like, when you get to the end, you know what the point is, right? The conclusion is like, this is what it is. Listen, in Revelations 21.3, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. See, the focus of it is that God is with you. 
And so the cross and the gospel was a means to an end. And the end is that you would have meaningful and deep fellowship and relationship with him. That is what he offers to you. So listen, I always try to get real practical. I don't want to just say something. So what does it mean to have attentive, submissive fellowship with Christ? How can we truly imitate Mary and sit at his feet? What does that look like? It means that, that, that we pay attention to the preached word. That like when, when, when the preacher, when I am preaching God's word, that is Jesus Christ communicating to you. And this, this is how I know it. Sometimes people will come up after and they say, Pastor, when you said blank, that was really meaningful. Half the time, like, I didn't even say that. <laughs> I didn't even say that. I'm glad the Lord spoke to you. <laughs> like, but I did not even say, like, I, it's so crazy. Like, when, pe- when people are like, I'll preach a sermon about a particular topic, and afterwards they'll be like, the Lord's really speaking to me about this other thing. And I'm like, that's what's up. Like, praise God. Like, like he spoke to you. <laughs> you know, like, like, God speaks to us through the word. The power is in the word, not the preacher. The, one of the ways that we have, have active, attentive submissiveness and fellowship to Christ is through accountability with other Christians. That we would humble ourselves and, and, and give people permission to say even hard things to us. You know, when, when we uh, have, uh, we call our membership of the church, we call it partnership. One of the reasons that is important is because you're saying, hey, I want to partner with you so that, that I would have accountability in my walk with Christ. That I would have encouragement, and at times that I would have some, some, some accountability, some rebuke, and say, hey, listen, that, that's not exactly a way to walk that's helpful. And what does it mean to listen individually? What does it mean to listen as an individual, sit at the feet of Christ? This is going to sound like super simple, but it is what it is. We need to read the Bible. <laughs> We need to study the scriptures. And when we study the scriptures, we need to ask ourselves the question, what does the text mean? There's two ways of reading the scripture. One's a bad way. It's called eisegesis. It's reading something into the biblical text that's not there. So I got a story. This illustrates a point. So somebody says, God, what you want me to do? And they open the Bible and they look at the verse that Judas hung himself. And then they just flip to another one and the verse says, go and do likewise. And they're like, that's not how you do it. <laughs> not, you, don't, you don't look at the Bible and go, what do I wanted to say? You have to say, no, no, no. What, what is the context? What is the intention? What does the human author want me to understand? What is the divine author? What did he mean in the text? And a really good way to start understanding that is using something called a study Bible. We, we, we have some, some uh, Christian standard study Bibles we can give to you if you can't afford it. But like just looking at the context and humbling yourself and say, not what do I want it to say, but what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? That will save us from so much trouble. There are so many times when somebody says, God told me to do something. And I'm like, that is, I know he ain't say that. <laughs> like, that is not what the Bible says. I know it's not that. Let's go ahead and try again. And not only that, we need to have times where, where we examine our lives before the Lord. There's this ancient practice, ironically called examine. 
And it's this, it's this idea that, that, that we understand that Jesus is trying to teach us something and point something out to us every single day. And so what the practice is, is that, that there would be a point in the day, maybe it's at the end of the day, where they would, they would sit, they would pray, and they say, Lord, I want to review my day. And you just start replaying this, what happened? What happened that day? And as you replay what happened that day, you begin to thank the Lord for what he has done. One of the things that when I do this practice, I always, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for the coffee I drank in the morning. It was good again. All right. But here's the deal. When you start to replay your day in the presence of the Lord, there's sometimes where something comes up. You're like, hmm, either I was tripping or somebody else was tripping. Something happened. And that's actually a point where I can, I can kind of pause there and I say, Lord, what, what is happening here? Where do I need to repent? There are so many things, so many times that I'm just operating in the flesh that I would not recognize if I didn't slow down and, and review my time with the Lord. I'm like, oh, I, didn't, I did not say the right thing there. I was prideful. I, I had selfish ambition right there. Lord, please forgive me. Weed that out of me. And then you, for the, you, you pray about the, the next day. Lord, I'm about to do whatever it is. Yesterday, Lord, I'm about to preach. <laughs> Lord, would you please help me? But it's this idea that you carve out time, that you would get in the Word of God, and then you would allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to get into you, to examine your life, so that you would be sitting with Jesus, and you would have that one thing that is necessary that you would never regret. The reality is, is we, we have some important stuff to do. We have to preach the gospel. We got to produce disciples. We got to pursue justice. But we have to be with the Lord to become the type of people who can actually do this. So, so it is so important that our church grasps onto this, that we would be people who would carve out time intensely, fiercely to sit at the feet of Jesus so that, that we can have, have an understanding of his love and so that he can address the things in us that he needs to address. He's so gracious that he, he will do this for us. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness. I thank you for your word, how it speaks to us, how it, it highlights what's going on in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would take Whatever was beneficial, whatever, whatever was of you would, you, would you drive it down deep in our hearts? And would you produce repentance? Would you produce obedience? Would you give us strength to follow you every single day and to sit with you and be with you so that we can be the type of people that, that you would use to extend your kingdom and your goodness to all who are around us? In Jesus' name, amen.